part two of the steel flea by nikolai leskov translated by isabel florence hapgood eighteen fifty one to nineteen twenty eight this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part two chapter six platoff departed from tula and three of the gunsmiths the most skilful of them all one a squint-eyed left-handed smith with a birthmark on his cheek and the hair upon his temples plucked out in the course of his apprenticeship bade their comrades and their households farewell and saying nothing to any one took their wallets placed therein the necessary food and disappeared from the town the only point about them which was remarked was that they did not proceed towards the moscow barrier but in the opposite direction towards kiev and it was supposed that they had betaken themselves to kiev in order to do reverence to the departed saints or to take counsel there with some of the living holy men who are always present in kiev in vast abundance but this was only approximately true not the truth itself neither the time nor the distance allowed of the tula artisans making the three weeks trip on foot to kiev and afterwards executing a piece of work which had put the english nation to shame better would it have been to go to moscow which is distant only twice ninety verst to pray since departed saints not a few repose there also but in the other direction oriol lies another twice ninety verst and from oriol to kiev is a good five hundred verst more such a road is not to be speedily traversed and having traversed it one recovers not quickly the feet will remain like glass and the hands will tremble for a long time thereafter some persons even thought that the gunsmiths had been overboastful in the presence of platoff and that afterwards when they had bethought themselves they had lost their courage and had now decamped for good carrying off with them the imperial gold snuff-box and the diamond and the english steel flea which had caused them this trouble in its case but this supposition also was utterly without foundation and unworthy of the clever men upon whom the hope of the nation now rested chapter seven the men of tula clever fellows and well versed in the art of metals are also renowned as the finest judges in religious matters their fame in this respect has filled not only their native land but even holy mount athos they are not only experts in singing from the obscure ancient notes but they also know how the holy picture of the evening chime should be painted and if any one of them dedicates himself to the great service and enters the monastic life such men have the reputation of making the best monastery stewards and they turn out the most capable collectors it is well known on holy mount athos that the men of tula are a most profitable race and were it not for them many remote corners of russia would assuredly never have beheld very many of the sacred things of the far east and athos would have been deprived of many useful contributions from russian bounty and piety nowadays the athos tulans carry about sacred things throughout the whole of our native land and collect contributions in the most masterly manner even in places where there is nothing to be got the tula man is full of ecclesiastical piety and very knowing in that line therefore those three workmen who had undertaken to uphold platoff and with him all russia committed no error in directing their course not moscowwards but towards the south they were bound not for kiev but for metensk a county town in the government of oriol 
in which stands the ancient stone-carved holy image of st nikolai which had floated thither in the most remote times upon a great cross also of stone down the river zusha this is a holy image of menacing and most terrible aspect the prelate of myra in lycia is therein depicted full length all clad in vestments of silver brocade but dark of countenance and in one hand he holds a temple in the other a sword symbolizing conquest and precisely in this conquest lies the whole gist of the matter st nikolai is the patron of mercantile and military matters in general but the nikolai of Matensk is so in particular and to him the men of tula hide them to pay their reverence they caused the service of prayer to be celebrated before the holy image itself and then before the stone cross and at last they return home by night and telling no one anything about it they set to work with direful secrecy all three assembled in a small house belonging to the left-handed man locked the door closed the shutters over the windows lighted the sacred lamp before the holy picture of nikolai and set to work one day two days three days they sat and went out nowhere but kept tapping away with their little hammers they were forging something but what they were forging no one knew everyone was curious but no one could find out because the workers said nothing and did not show themselves out of doors diverse persons went to the cottage and knocked at the door under various pretexts to ask for fire or salt but the three artist smiths unbolted for no questions and it was not even known on what food they subsisted an attempt was made to frighten them and they were told that a house in the vicinity was on fire to see whether they would not run out in their alarm and then it would be revealed what they had forged but no one could entrap those cunning artisans on that occasion only the left-handed man did thrust himself out to the extent of his shoulders and shout burn by yourselves but we have no time and thereupon he hid his plucked pate again clapped the shutter to and proceeded with his business only it could be seen through tiny cracks that a small fire was glowing in the house and the delicate little hammers could be heard tapping away on the resonant anvils in a word the whole affair was conducted with such fearful secrecy that it was impossible to find out anything at all and moreover this continued up to the very moment of cossack platoff's return from the quiet dawn to the emperor and during all that time these artisans saw no one and talked with no one chapter eight platoff travelled very swiftly and in state he himself sat in the calash and on the box sat two cossacks of the imperial suite with nagaikas one on each side of the coachman whom they belaboured unmercifully so that he should drive at a gallop and if one of these cossacks fell into a doze platoff kicked him out of the calash and they drove on harder than ever these means of encouragement operated so efficaciously that it was impossible to bring the horses to a halt at a single posting station and they always overran the stopping-place by a hundred leaps then the sweet cossack would work upon the coachman in the opposite quarter again and they would return to the entrance and in this same fashion did they roll into tula at first they flew a hundred leaps beyond the moscow barrier and then the cossack worked upon the coachman in the opposite quarter with his nagaika and fresh horses were put in at the porch platoff did not alight from the kalash himself but merely commanded a sweet cossack to bring to him as speedily as possible the master workman with whom he had left the flea 
one sweet cossack ran to make them fetch the work which was to put the english to shame as quickly as possible and his cossack had barely departed when platoff dispatched after him courier after courier that all possible haste might be made when he had sent off all the cossacks of the suite on the run he began to dispatch simple members of the curious public and even thrust his own legs out of the calash in his impatience and was on the point of rushing off himself and fairly gnashed his teeth everything seemed so slow to him such at that time was the demand that everything should be very quick and exact that not a single moment might be wasted to russian usefulness chapter nine the tula artisans who had executed a marvellous bit of business had only just completed their work the cossacks of the suite dashed up to them breathless and the simple members of the curious public never arrived at all because through lack of practice they flung their feet widely over the road and tumbled down whereupon they fled homewards and hid themselves in the first place that offered through fear of encountering platoff's eye but as soon as the cossacks of the suite rushed up they instantly began to shout and when they saw that the men did not open to them they immediately proceeded to tear at the bolts and shutters without ceremony but the bolts were so stout that they did not yield in the least and they wrenched at the door but the door was backed up inside by oaken bars then the cossack picked up a beam in the street fixed it under the roof frame after the fashion customary at conflagrations and tipped the whole roof off the little house at one toss but no sooner had they removed the roof than they instantly tumbled over backwards themselves for such a spiral of sweat arose from the artisans in their confined quarters caused by their unresting toil that it was impossible for an unaccustomed man coming directly from the fresh air to breathe it all at once the messenger shouted what are you doing you scoundrels you thus and so and how dare you to infect us with such a spiral to boot after this god is not with you but they replied we will instantly drive in the last little nail and when that is in place we will bring out our work but the messenger said he'll devour us alive before that time and leave not enough to remember our souls by but the gunsmiths replied he will not succeed in swallowing you because lo while you have been speaking we have already driven in that last tiny nail run and say that we will bring it immediately the sweet cossacks ran but not with confidence they thought the gunsmiths were deceiving them therefore while they ran as hard as they could they kept glancing back but the workmen followed them and made such extreme haste that they did not manage to get their clothes quite on as was meet before presenting themselves to such an important personage but fastened the hooks of their caftans as they ran two of them had nothing in their hands but the third the left-handed man held the imperial casket with the english steel flea in a green case chapter ten the sweet cossacks dashed up to platoff and said here they are themselves platoff immediately addressed the artisans ready quite ready they replied hand it over they gave it to him the carriage was already harnessed and the coachman and the postilion were in their places the cossacks immediately seated themselves beside the coachman and raised their whips over him and after executing a flourish held them so platoff tore off the green case opened the casket drew the golden snuff-box from the soft cotton and from the snuff-box the diamond as big as a walnut and beheld the english flea lying there exactly as before and nothing else whatever says platoff what's this and where is your work wherewith you wish to solace the emperor the gunsmiths reply our work is here also platoff inquires wherein does it consist 
and the gunsmith's reply why declare that all is here before your eyes and you can look platoff shrugged his shoulders and shouted where is the key to the flea here also they answered where the flea is there also is the key in one and the same walnut platoff tried to grasp the key but his fingers were blunt he fumbled and fumbled but could not manage to get hold either of the flea or of the key which projected from the machinery in its belly and all at once he flew into a rage and began to curse in words after the cossack fashion he shouted what do you mean you rascals you have made nothing and have spoiled the whole thing to boot i'll cut your heads off but the men of tula made reply without cause do you thus abuse us we must suffer all insults from you as from the emperor's emissary but just because you have doubted us and have thought that we are capable of deceiving even the imperial name we will not tell you our secret but you will please to carry it to the emperor he will see what sort of people he has in us and whether he will suffer shame because of us but platoff roared come you are lying you rascals i'll not part from you but one of you shall go to petrograd with me and there i will put him to the question as to the nature of your cunning devices thereupon he stretched out his hand seized the squint-eyed left-handed smith by the collar with his stubby fingers so that all the hooks flew off the man's coat and flung him at his feet in the calash sit here says he in the manner of a poodle until we get to petrograd you shall answer to me for all of them and you says he to the cossacks of the suite whip up there don't dawdle see that you get me to the emperor in petrograd the day after to-morrow the artisans merely ventured to say to him on behalf of their comrade how can you take him from us thus without a tugament he will not be able to come back but platoff in place of answer showed them his fist such a horrible fist dark red and all slashed seemingly grown together here and there and menacing them he said here's his tugament for you and to the cossacks he said whip up my lads cossacks coachmen and horses all began to work simultaneously and bore away the left-handed man without his tugament and the next day but one as platoff had commanded they whirled him up to the emperor's palace and even having overgalloped as was befitting they drove past the columns platoff rose fastened on his orders and went to the emperor commanding the cossacks of the suite to stand guard at the entrance over the squint-eyed left-handed smith chapter eleven platoff was afraid to present himself before the eyes of the emperor because nikolai pavlovitch was a terribly remarkable man with a long memory he never forgot anything platoff knew that he would infallibly question him about the flea and so he who feared no enemy in all the world lost his courage there he entered the palace with the casket and slyly thrust it behind the stove in the hall having thus concealed the casket platoff presented himself before the emperor in his study and began with all possible speed to report the internecine conversation of the cossacks on the quiet dawn he reasoned thus that he would engage the emperor's attention in this manner and then if the emperor himself remembered and mentioned the flea it would be necessary to hand it over and answer for it but if the emperor should not refer to it then he would hold his own tongue he would order the valet attached to the study to put the casket away out of sight and would confine the left-handed tula man in a casement of the fortress for an indefinite period and allow him to sit there until he was needed but the emperor nikolai pavlovitch had forgotten nothing and platoff had barely terminated his internecine conversations when he immediately inquired well 
and how have my tula artisans justified themselves against the english nymphozoria the nymphozoria your majesty says he is still in the same space and i have brought it back for the tula artisans could make nothing more marvellous the emperor replied thou art a valiant old man but that which thou hast just reported to me cannot be platoff began to assure him and related the whole course of the matter and when he had reached the point where the men of tula entreated him that the flea might be shown to the emperor nikolai pavlovitch slapped him on the back and said give it here i know that my own people cannot deceive me something beyond comprehension has been done here chapter twelve they fetched out the casket from behind the stove removed its cloth case opened the golden snuff-box and the diamond walnut and there lay the flea just as it had lain before the emperor gazed and said how clever but his faith in the russian workmen was not diminished and he ordered that his favourite daughter alexandra nikolaevna be summoned and commanded her thou hast delicate fingers on thy hands take the little key and wind up the belly machine of this nymphozoria as speedily as possible the princess began to turn the key and the flea instantly began to move its feelers but did not stir its legs alexandra nikolaevna wound up the whole machinery but still the nymphozoria neither executed its dance nor performed a single variation as in former times platoff turned all green and cried ah the rascally dogs now i understand why they would not tell me anything there tis well that i fetched one of the fools along with me with these words he rushed out upon the porch seized the left-handed man by the hair and began to hurl him about hither and thither until the tufts flew but when platoff ceased to beat him the man recovered himself and said my hair has already been all pulled out during my apprenticeship and now i do not know for what necessity such a repetition has descended is because i had set my hopes upon you said platoff and had gone surety for you and you have spoiled a valuable thing the left-handed man replied we are greatly satisfied that you went surety for us but as for spoiling we have spoiled nothing take and look through the very strongest melkoscope platoff ran back told about the melkoscope and merely threatened the left-handed man i'll give it to you well yet says he you thus and thus and so and he ordered the cossacks of the suite to fasten the left-handed man's elbow still more strongly behind him and himself mounted the stairs fuming and reciting a prayer in one breath blessed mother of the blessed king pure all pure and so on as is proper and all the courtiers who were standing on the stairs turned away from him and thought platoff is caught at last and in a few moments he will be driven from the palace for they could not endure him on account of his bravery chapter thirteen when platoff reported the left-handed man's words to the emperor the latter instantly exclaimed with joy i knew that my russian people had not betrayed me and he ordered a melkoscope to be brought on a cushion the melkoscope was brought that very minute and the emperor took the flea and placed it under the glass first with its back then with its side then with its belly upward in short he turned it on all sides but nothing was to be seen but even then the emperor did not lose faith and said merely bring hither instantly that gunsmith who is downstairs platoff announced his clothing must be changed i took him just as he was and now he is in very evil plight but the emperor replied bring him just as he is platoff said here now you thus and so go yourself and make answer before the eyes of the emperor 
and the left-handed man replied assuredly i will go and will make answer so he goes just as he is in his voluminous trousers one leg tucked into his boot the other flapping unrestrainedly and his old caftan whose hooks would not fasten because they were lost and which had a rent on the stomach but he took no heed of this he felt no confusion what of it he said to himself if it pleases the emperor to see me i must go and if i have no tugament with me i am not to blame and i will tell how the matter came about when the left-handed man entered and made his obeisance the emperor immediately said to him what is the meaning of this my good man that we have examined it thus and thus and have placed it under the melkoscope and can descry nothing noteworthy and the left-handed man replied did your majesty deign to look at it in the right way the grandees made signs to him don't speak so but he did not understand that one must express oneself in the court fashion flatteringly or with craft and he spoke simply the emperor said stop your prudent interference with him let him answer as he pleases and immediately he said to him this is the way we placed it and laid the flea under the melkoscope look for yourself said he there is nothing to be seen the left-handed man replies in that manner it is impossible to see anything your majesty because our work is far more secret in comparison with such proportions the emperor asked but how then must one do it it is necessary says he to bring only one of its feet in detail under the melkoscope and to scrutinize separately every heel wherewith it walks really you don't say so says the emperor that is very powerfully small it cannot be helped replies the left-handed man if our work is only to be observed thus and then all the marvel of it will be displayed they placed it as the left-handed man directed and no sooner had the emperor peeped through the upper glass than he fairly beamed all over took the left-handed man just as he was unkempt dusty unwashed into his arms embraced him and kissed him and then turned to all the courtiers and said do you see i knew better than anyone else that my russians would not fail me please to look for these rascals have shod the english flea with horseshoes chapter fourteen all began to approach and look the flea was actually shod with real shoes on all its feet and the left-handed man declared that even this did not constitute the whole marvel if you had a better melkoscope said he which would magnify five million times then you might deign to perceive that the maker's name is stamped upon each shoe and is your name there asked the emperor not at all replies the left-handed man i worked at something finer than those horseshoes i forged the tiny nails with which the shoes are fastened on for that no melkoscope whatever can be used the emperor said where is your melkoscope with which you could produce this marvel and the left-handed man replied we are poor folk and because of our poverty we have no melkoscope but we have trained eyes then other courtiers still perceiving that the left-handed man's case had proved auspicious began to kiss him and platov gave him a hundred roubles and said forgive me good brother for hauling you by the hair the left-handed man replied god forgives this is not the first time that that sort of thing has happened to me and he said no more neither was there any time for him to speak at length for the emperor commanded that this shod nymphosoria should immediately be packed up and sent back to england in the guise of a gift so that they might understand there that this was in no way astonishing to us and the emperor ordered that a special courier should carry the flea a man learned in all tongues and that the left-handed man should go with him 
and that he himself should exhibit his handiwork to the englishman and show what workmen we have in tula platoff made the sign of the cross over him may a blessing rest upon thee said he and i will send thee my own caucasian vodka for the journey drink not a little drink not much but drink moderately and so he did he sent it and count kizovroda ordered that the left-handed man should be washed in the tulyakov public bath that his hair and beard should be trimmed in a hairdresser's shop and that he should be clothed in a state kaftan taken from a court singer so that he might make a good appearance and have some sort of rank conferred upon him when they had reuniformed him in this manner treated him to tea with platoff's vodka for the journey and had drawn in his leather belt as snugly as possible in order that his bowels might not shake they took him to london and there foreign things happened to the left-handed man end of part two recording by expatriate in bangor maine